love to have you join us for that. Um, but I'm really missing you all this morning. I'm really feeling it this week in particular, um, and I've been feeling it a lot as time has been progressing, but especially this week, and especially as I've been preparing the message for today, I've just really been feeling like I've missed you a lot more. And one thing I've really missed is that uh, my kids are growing up really fast, and you know, one thing I really cherish is how much you as a church body invest in our kids and take pride and joy in them for us and with us. Um, so that's something I'm really missing. Henry is growing up super fast. He's almost three months old already, and he is a chunk. So I think about those of you who love cute babies, Josh Valdez, Lori Russo, the whole Bussard family. I love how you love our kids. Um, so I'm bummed that you get to miss out on his cuteness. He's pretty than cute. Um, but beyond that, you know, one thing I just want to share is that being a parent has been such a great and fun experience for us and for me in particular. And one of my favorite things about it is that God regularly, regularly uses my kids to teach me about him and help me to relate with him in new ways. Uh, in, in particular, in the last couple of weeks, Teddy specifically has been in this stage. He's three years old. He's a toddler. He's in this stage of his childhood development that he can't really focus beyond his current circumstances. He sees what is right in front of him, and that's about it. And some of you parents, I'm sure, can relate plenty, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to figure out how to help him to look beyond his present circumstances. So there was a moment this last week where, uh, since we've been home a lot more, we've uh, let him get a lot more screen time. We try to limit that a little bit, you know. But uh, we, we offered to let him watch a movie. But we just told him, it's like, hey, Teddy, you can watch a movie, but you have to finish your lunch first. And we said that, and it was like the world was ending. I mean, he just lost it. Tantrum, full note. Sorry, Teddy, if you're watching, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> sharing the story about you, but I'll make it up to you later. Um, but he just lost it. Waterworks, everything. And we're just like, Teddy, what's wrong? And we asked him, and he's like, I want to watch a movie right now. And that's all he could focus on was he wasn't watching a movie right now. Even though we, were, we felt like we were giving him a treat, we're saying, hey, Teddy, after lunch, you can watch a movie. And it's really, for me, it's something, that's one area where God is constantly working on my patience. He's like, Alex, um, you you do the same thing. You realize this. And I get so frustrated with him, but, but Jesus will use those moments in my life to, to grab a hold of me and he'll, he'll get my attention and he'll tell me, Alex, you do the same exact thing. You really struggle to look past your present circumstances. And so the more I reflect on that, the more I think about, especially with everything that's going on, maybe you can relate with uh, COVID-19, this whole pandemic, it's so hard to look past our present circumstances. It can be really hard to look past the immediate difficulties and trials, things that we face right now. But I want you to know that there's a bigger picture. And I think that that's what God wants to speak to us this morning as we continue on through 1 Peter. We started the series last week through 1 Peter called Hope in the Midst of Chaos. And uh, I get the privilege of, of preaching through uh, a little bit of chapter one this morning. But I feel like that this is what, what God wants to speak to us as well. And what Peter was speaking to these Christians in the early church was to focus on the bigger picture. There's more going on than what you see. Uh, so I hope that that's an encouragement to you as we continue on. Um, so if you don't have your Bible out, I would love for you to hit pause in the video, run and grab it real quick. Um, we're more than welcome to, or you are more than welcome to, to pause, run, get it, and come back. I also want to encourage you to take notes. Um, there's something special when we actually write down and we enter in a position of learning where God will use 
those actions to teach us in in greater detail at times. So I want to encourage you to do those two things, to follow along with me in your Bible. We're looking in 1 Peter, which is toward the back of your Bible. Um, And know that even though this was written by a guy named Peter almost 2,000 years ago to a very specific set of Christians that lived back then, this is also written for you. It was written to them, but it's written for you, that God has written and devised scripture in such a way that it can speak to us even now, 2,000 years later. So as we read this, I want you to really receive this as if God is speaking to you. Receive this as a message for you. Um, But I want to read this whole passage first, and then we'll go back through and and, um, go in depth. But 1 Peter 1, we're going to start in verse 3 and read through verse 12. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Peter writes, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So these people that Peter is writing to were experiencing trials, difficulties. You could go so far as to say that they are suffering. Um, And if you missed last week, I really encourage you to go back and watch last week. Brian gave a great, great introduction to this whole book and the first couple of verses, and he gave some context behind what, this, uh, what these people are going through. But more than anything, brief context, Peter's preaching, or writing this letter to uh, Christians who are trying to figure out what, is this whole thing, what does this whole Christian life look like? Because it's brand new. It doesn't fit in with, with the rest of the world. And Peter goes so far to call them exiles because what they are living for doesn't match the world that they're living in. But it's interesting because these people are going through trials. It's very clear that they're going through difficulties, that something is, is wrong, something is hard, something is going on that they have to continue to walk through and persevere. But the tone of this message, especially this very first big chunk of this letter, the tone of this message is not, oh, woe is you, sorry. 
the tone of this message is stop focusing on your immediate circumstances and focus. Focus on what really matters. Focus on the, the greater realities going on because you have been raised to new life, because you've been born again in Jesus Christ. So it's like I try to teach Teddy. It's like man and I try to teach Teddy. We try to teach him to focus on what matters, right? Don't focus on the one little sad thing that derails your whole train of thought. Don't fixate on that, but lift your eyes up and focus on the bigger picture. Focus on the good. Focus on what's to come. So I want to break down this, this passage for you. Uh, and I think that the very clearest way that I can, I can do that is I think that Peter is really trying to help them focus. And I think he, he kind of lists five things to focus on. So the overarching structure for my message is focus on what really matters. Focus on the bigger picture. And Peter is going to give us five things to focus on. So if you're taking notes, I really encourage you to write these things down. But first and foremost, he starts with telling them to focus on their identity. Focus on your identity. In verse 3, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Born again. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, that might sound like a buzzword or a buzz phrase. For some of you who may not be terribly familiar with Christianity, you might not even know what that means. Um, but we have been born again. If you believe in Christ, you have literally been born again. And what does that mean? It means that you were a part of a new family, that you have a brand new identity as a child of God. You've been adopted as his sons and daughters. And with that, everything changes. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my favorite passages. It's a great one to memorize if, if you uh, are looking for a verse to memorize. Paul writes it and puts it this way. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. That means that everything changes, right? And this is, there's a little bit of a dichotomy here because we still are, we're still ourselves. We still live in the same world that we lived in before. But when we put our faith in Christ, there's a brand new spiritual reality. Everything is new. The old is gone. The old self is gone. And so there's an interesting new set of circumstances given to us. We are part of a new reality. And Peter's saying, focus on that new reality. Focus on your new identity as a child of God. Again, Brian emphasized some of this last week. But your identity is, is one of the most important things for you to understand because you operate and live out of your identity. And if you have a, a perception of yourself that isn't accurate to what God says about you, you're not going to live to your full potential. You're not going to live the full, into the fullness of life that Jesus wants to give you. So Peter is starting with this, and he's telling these Christians, these exiles, to focus on who you are. Focus on your identity. Why? Because everything around them is going to try to tear down this new identity, or it's going to try to fit it into a box, fit it into something that's more manageable. And I think some of you can relate with this. Um, we live in a world like this today. You know, in general... Most people are okay with Christians as long as they're not those types of Christians, right? As long as they're not too preachy, as long as they're not too weird, as long as they don't hold to all those weird, outdated, um, ancient values, you know, people love to throw these words around. As long as Christians, you know, take away this part of, of what the Bible says and just they fit in this box, then we're okay with them. And a lot of Christians, we, we, we want to be uh, the type 
of Christian that gets along well with the rest of the world. We want to be peacemakers. And sometimes we just slip into that and we can allow the world, we can allow the people around us, the culture around us to shape our identity. And that is a problem. That is a problem. So instead, focus on your identity in Christ. Your identity, who you are, the most fundamental thing about you is established in him and him alone. And that is that you are a child of God and that you are loved more than you can possibly imagine. That you've been adopted into his family. Live out of that place. Don't live for the world around you. Don't live for what the culture says is valuable or what you should live for. And because of this new identity, we now live with a great expectation. Um, I'm reading from the NLT. This is how the NLT, the New Living Translation, puts it. Some of your Bibles, if you're reading along, might say, we're born again into a living hope. Um, And I love that language, but I also love how the NLT puts it because hope in the English language kind of loses the value a little bit of what's really being meant here. We tend to use the word hope to talk about wishful thinking or things that we kind of want to happen but may not, right? I hope that we get through this pandemic. I hope that I can live to the next paycheck. I hope that I can fill in the blank. We don't know. But the hope that we're talking about here, that Peter is talking about, is more of an expectation. It's this great expectation because we know it's coming. We know it's happening. It's a promise of God that we can hold on to confidently. And that's the second thing he tells us to focus on. He tells these people to focus on your inheritance. Focus on your inheritance. And I'm not sure if this is something you've thought about too much in depth, but I want to read in verse 4. Peter says, And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You see, as children of God, we have an inheritance. Just like on earth, parents, if we we do well, right, ideally, we want to build an inheritance that we can pass on to our kids, right? In the same way, God has promised us an inheritance because we are his children. Um, If you're interested in some further reading this week, I'd really encourage you to read Romans chapter 8, one of the most powerful chapters in all of scripture of just, truth on who we are. But Paul in that chapter mentions that as children, of God, as children of God, we are his heirs. That we are literally heirs of God. And with Christ, we are co-heirs. That means that Jesus, as the only begotten son of God, his inheritance is the same inheritance that we are promised this inheritance of eternal life, of honor, of glory. And and there's so many things that we don't really understand about this inheritance, but it's far beyond anything we can possibly imagine. And this inheritance cannot decay. It cannot erode. It cannot be diminished. It cannot be taken away. It is yours. So he says to focus on that. Focus on your inheritance. And it is kept in heaven for you. In other words, It's nothing that you can experience on earth. Like there are parts of our faith and parts of the inheritance and parts of what it means to be a child of God that we absolutely experience here and now. But there is an extent of our inheritance that can only only be fully realized in heaven, in the next life. So as Christians, he's telling us, he's telling them to don't, don't live for the things in this world. Don't live for the things that you can find here. We're living for heaven. 
Don't live for the things that the world say, says are valuable. Don't live for power. Don't live for money. Don't live for sex. Don't live for a bigger house, a nicer car. Don't live for those things. Those are things that the world says are valuable. They're not bad, but we're called to live for something higher. Live for heaven. Live for the inheritance at the end, not for now. And what I love about Peter is that he reminds them in verse 5, he says, God is intimately involved in this waiting process. He's protecting you until that day comes. In your faith, God will protect you. He's not just leaving you out to, to figure this all out on your own. He is intimately involved with you and he will protect you until the end. Which for, foreshadows this next point where he says to focus on the end result of trials. He doesn't say to ignore the trials, but he's saying to focus on the end result because there's something bigger going on, right? In, in verse six, he writes, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. And it's interesting because he says you must endure trials, right? There's a necessity there. Too often, we, we get into this, this mindset where, man, if we believe in Jesus, shouldn't our lives be better, easier? Shouldn't our difficulties go away? That's never promised to us. But what's promised to us is that there's something at the end that's worth it, that's worth persevering. It says you must endure many trials for a little while. I love that phrase, for a little while, right? In the grand scheme of eternity, this is a short time period. But you do have to endure them for a little while, and that's hard. But Peter continues, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. He uses this analogy. Um, an ancient way of purifying gold, what they would do is they would heat it up with fire until it would get into this molten state. They would let it sit there for a long time, and all the impurities would gradually rise to the top, and then they would scrape off everything that wasn't actually gold. And that's how they would purify it. So Peter uses this analogy to say, look, yeah, it's unpleasant, right? I'm sure if gold could think or speak, something, it would probably scream. Just like uh, Mark Popenhagen, you were telling the, the kids and the adults to scream a little bit earlier in the live chat. So hopefully you guys were screaming. But uh, all to say is it's not pleasant, right? We know that trials aren't pleasant. Difficulties aren't, aren't pleasant. But there is something deeper going on through them, that there's a purification going on. He says, your, your faith will be proven to be genuine. And I love that he says, your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Like gold is nothing. I mean, I don't know how many of us are really walking around with gold nowadays, but I mean, imagine it this way. Your faith is worth more than mere millions, mere billions. Your faith is worth so much more. Instead of living for the things in this world, continue to focus on your faith. Focus on the God who has saved you and given you a new identity. And he says, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Again, he's got this huge picture in mind, right? He's got the end in mind. At the end, when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, when he comes back for the second time, there will be praise, glory, and honor for you. For you. 
as you persevere, as you continue to go through trials. Your Father in heaven's cheering you on. And I love this because we, because we have this, and it's all over Scripture too, it's all over the New Testament, but because we have this promise of God, of this inheritance, of this end, of this glory, of this honor at the very end, we can confidently say, if it's not good, it's not over. If things aren't good, it's not over. God's not done. There's more to come. You can always hold on to that hope. It is, if it's not good now, it's not over. Continue to lift your eyes up and look ahead, look to the end, the end result. And in the midst of that, your trials are not meaningless. Sometimes we look at, at the things that we go through and the difficulties we go through and, and we just wonder, this is pointless. This would be so much better if this didn't even exist. But Peter's saying there's a purpose here. You know, God doesn't revel in our, in our suffering and our difficulties, but he will absolutely use them. God doesn't let anything go to waste in our lives. And the point is to prove your faith, to purify it, to make it genuine, right? Imagine this. If, if you are never put in a position where you have to trust God, how do you know if you're actually trusting in him? You don't. And some of the people that I have seen the most joyful, the most um, exuberant and just radiant with, with the joy of Christ at the end of their life are people that have gone through the most difficulty. Right? Joy and and ultimately the end result, right? Joy, glory, honor, all of that is not dependent on our trials. If anything, the more that you get through difficult circumstances, the more that God shows up, the stronger your faith is going to be. And you might even look back on those times of your life with, with fondness, with memory of how your God showed up, how your God showed himself to you. Think about it this way. In general, in the rest of life, nothing worth doing is ever easy, right? Imagine the Olympics. A gold medal in the Olympics would mean absolutely nothing if everybody got one. If everybody got a consolation gold medal, right? It would mean absolutely nothing. For those of you in school or getting ready to go to college, you know, a degree would mean absolutely nothing if it didn't take hard work and long, arduous hours and four years of your life. For those of you who are thinking, I mean, Tanner, you're getting ready to go off to get your PhD, right? A PhD would mean nothing if it was easy to get. It's hard, but that's what gives it meaning. The same goes for your faith. Faith is hard. It's supposed to be. God has set it up in such a way where we have to truly trust him. He doesn't give us easy answers, but he makes it worth our while. So don't just focus on coping with your difficulties. I know many of you are going through hard times right now. Don't focus on just coping. Focus on what does it look like to rejoice through this, to continue to look ahead to God and know and hold on to the promises that he has given you, that things will work out good in the end may not be how, exactly how we want it to be, but it will be good. And it'll be far better than anything we could ever imagine. The fourth thing I believe Peter tells us to focus on is focus on your victories. Focus on your victories. Read with me in verse 8. Because in this verse, Peter shifts his tone a little bit. Instead of talking like, about things that are outside of them, he, he directly calls out some good things in them that he sees. He says, you love him, you love Jesus, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him 
and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. He's, he's pointing out their victories. He's pointing out the things that they're doing well. He's saying, it, I don't know if you think about, think about this, right? Peter, who's the one writing this letter, he saw Jesus. He walked with him for three years. He saw Jesus when he was raised from the dead. And he's writing to a bunch of people that have never seen him. Jesus has long since ascended into heaven. He's writing to these people and says, you've never seen him. I've, I saw him and I believe him. The fact that you've never seen him and you believe him, that's amazing. That's awesome. Your faith is great. Keep going. Continue on. And I love this because for us, living 2,000 years later, this is a blessing for us, right? There's something special about trusting in Jesus when you've never seen him. Jesus himself says this in John 20, 29. We get this glimpse, Jesus has just appeared to Thomas, one of his disciples who was sitting there frustrated and saying, I'm not going to believe any of this until I see it up front. So Jesus shows up and says, okay, Thomas, put your hands here and the scars on my hand. Put your hand in my side. See my scars. And that's a, it's a great thing, right? Thomas was given a gift that Jesus showed up and now he can believe and fully trust. But then Jesus follows up and says, look, you believe because you've seen me. That's great. You believe. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That is a blessing for each and every one of us. If you trust in Jesus, obviously you have not seen him in a physical flesh standpoint right in front of you. There's something special about that. But he's pointing this out because he's wanting to encourage them and say, keep going. Focus on your victories. Don't focus on your failures. That's easy. I mean, you should understand your failures and learn from them, but don't focus on them. Don't fixate on them. For those of you who struggle to read your Bible, one, you're not alone, but two, don't focus on the fact, don't fixate on the fact that maybe you haven't picked up your Bible in a couple weeks. Don't fixate on that. Instead, if you get five minutes in your Bible, fixate on the victory of that. Like, I got five minutes in my Bible. That's awesome. I, got, I put myself in a position to hear from God. Focus on the victory and then keep going. I feel like that's what Peter is telling us is to, to, it's so easy to beat yourself down. It is so easy to beat yourself down and constantly focus on your failures or how things haven't turned out well for you in the past, but focus on the things that have gone well, focus on your victories and then keep going. We need that. We need people to cheer us on as well. Peter's cheering them on. We need people to cheer us on. You know, I, I'm reminded of my days running track in high school. Uh, I had a lot of fun running back in the day, um, back when there was a competition, I can't stand running now. If there's no point to it, man, I just cannot bring myself to do it. But back in high school, my event was the 400 meter. Um, I wasn't fast enough for the one or the 200. So, uh, and I really was not good at long distance either. I hated long distance. But so the 400 was kind of my sweet spot. A lot of people hated that race. I loved it. But I remember specifically one event that I ran, one meet, and it was one of the bigger ones, so I was really nervous. Um, and I was anxiously waiting all day because the 400 meters, I don't know why, but it was always the last event, which always frustrated me because I always had to wait and sit through everything and just constantly dwell on what the race was going to be like. But I remember getting in the blocks and getting set up, and I hear the gun go off, and I, I jump out of the blocks and I start running. And almost immediately, I see all the other runners just take off in front of me. And immediately my heart sank. And I'm just like, great, this is worthless. I'm going to lose horribly. 
And so I, I really wanted to, you know, I couldn't bring myself to do it, um, but I really wanted to quit. I just really wanted to stop running. Uh, but I kept going, I kept persisting, and I was going with the strategy that the coaches gave me. And eventually I got around three quarters of the lap, got to the final stretch, and all of a sudden I hear the voices of my coach, of my teammates, of a bunch of people, and all of a sudden I, I'm hearing them say, and they're yelling at me saying, Alex, run, you can do this. They're slowing down, they're gassed, they've lost their energy. They, they uh, started too hard. And so immediately I felt encouraged. They, they had a vantage point that I didn't have. I'm just focusing on running straight, right? But they had a vantage point. They could see that most of the other runners, they didn't have a strategy. They just went in and went on an all-out sprint, and they were, they were gassed by the final stretch, whereas I was coached and trained to, to pace myself. <laughs> so I got to the final stretch, and I hear these voices, and I get this boost of confidence, and I start running. I book it. And because it's one of the bigger meets, there's this huge uh, a bunch of stands off to my right, Tons of people, and the, the noise just gets louder and louder and louder and erupts as one by one I start passing these other runners. Now, I don't, I don't think I got in first place. I can't remember, but I think I got second. I finished in the top two or something like that. But I can tell you it was so unbelievably exhilarating to be like seventh or sixth or something like that and make my way up on the final stretch all the way up to second. And I was able to do that because I had people cheering me on. They had a different vantage point. We all need people to remind us of our identity, to remind us of the end goal. We need people to cheer us on and tell us we're doing a good job. And that's what Peter's doing for them. And I want you to know that you are doing a good job. You know, knowing a lot of your circumstances, not everyone's, but knowing a lot of your circumstances, you're doing a good job. Keep going. Keep putting your faith in Christ. He's going to get you through it. We may not know exactly how that turns out, but your God is good. Your God is for you. And he will see you to the end. If it's not good, it's not over. And God is not done. The final point is kind of an encapsulating point for Peter. I think he's really just saying, focus on the big picture. Focus on the big picture from, an, from a historical standpoint even. Focus on God's story. Right? God's story is so much beyond the year 2020, which is turning out to be a pretty crummy year. God's story is so much beyond that. And in verses 10 through 12, he basically gives us two things to fixate on. The first one, in verse 10, he says, this salvation, this salvation that you have, that you know about, this inheritance, was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory afterwards. So when, when the Holy Spirit was talking to them and telling them what to write down in the Old Testament, right, they didn't understand the full picture. They believed, but they had no idea. I mean, some of the things you see in the Old Testament as foreshadows, foreshadowing and precursors to Christ is unbelievably accurate. It's amazing especially if you look at the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, it is uncanny. But the prophets who wrote those things down did not know what that was going to look like. They had no idea. They longed to know. They were asking questions. Okay, Lord, is this going to happen in my lifetime? Do I get to see this? Do I get to see the Messiah? How's this going to work out? I don't know. And, and, but we know. 
And Peter's reminding his listeners, like, look, you know this. You know the full picture, and you have the salvation that they longed to know about. And if you think about it this way, in the Old Testament, Jews, they understood that they had an inheritance. They were the chosen people of God. They knew that God longed to give them an inheritance, but they thought it was a big plot of land and some political freedom. That's kind of what they thought. And for them, that was a, a, an elusive hope. They, I mean, man, they constantly were longing for that to come. But knowing what we know now, what they thought to be the inheritance of God was so small. They had no idea what God was cooking up. And the inheritance that we have now is far beyond anything that this world has to offer. It's an eternal relationship. You have to live for all of eternity with God. You have to have this unbelievable inheritance as his children, as his heirs. And then finally, the last thing he really mentions is, um, I'm going to skip a little bit, but at the end of verse 12, He's trying to point this all out, and he says, all of this, everything I've been talking about, this is so wonderful. All this is so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Sometimes we can read that really, click, really quickly. and be like, okay, well, I, that's weird. Angels, they're watching something. What are the angels watching? What are they eagerly waiting for? They're watching over us. And back in Peter's time when he's writing this letter, he's r- trying to, to help them to, fun- to realize, look, God is doing something that you cannot see. You might not be able to see it quite yet. He's working. He's moving. His church is growing. The gospel is being shared. People are coming to know him, and their lives are being changed. And angels are just sitting from heaven. I don't know where it is. You know, we, we picture it up, up in the sky somewhere. But you, know, you can just imagine that they're watching down on us, and they're just waiting to see what happens like this big, massive drama. How is God going to show up next? What victory is he going to unveil next? How are these Christians going to persevere through these trials? How is their faith going to be strengthened? It's exciting for them. And the angels are doing the same for us. They're watching over everything that's happening. They're just like, man, what is God going to do next? How is God going to help his church persevere this pandemic? He's waiting. They're watching. There's a bigger picture going on. There's a, there's, there's a lot more going on around us. There's, there's a reality that is so much greater than what we can see. And Peter is telling them, lift your eyes up. Look at this reality. Don't, don't keep looking at your feet. You know, if you think about it, for those of you who love to hike, um, if you go on a hike in Colorado, it's beautiful. Sometimes it's tempting to just want to look down at your feet and every single step that you take, you just, you know, you want to make sure you're not tripping or something like that, right? But there's two things that happens. When you only look at your feet, one, you don't really know where you're going long term, right? You could wa- end up way off the path because you're not really looking at the end goal. Or two, you miss out on the whole view. You miss out on the beauty, the glory, the, the, the whole reason for even going on a hike. And I think Peter is saying, stop looking at your feet and look up. Get the bigger picture in mind. So I want to recap five things that I believe Peter is telling them and also telling us to focus on. Focus on your identity. Focus on who you really are. You're a child of God. You are loved. You have not been forsaken. Jesus is with you. Focus on your inheritance. Focus on the the, the end goal. 
Because there's so much more than just what's right in front of us. There's so much more than even just this life. Focus on your inheritance in heaven. Focus on the end result of your trials. Focus on the fact that God will not ever let anything go to waste, including our suffering. Focus on your victories. Don't fixate on your failures. Focus on your, vic- on your victories. Focus on the things that will encourage you to keep going on, keep pressing on and running the race. And then overall, focus on just the big picture. Constantly work on lifting your eyes up from your feet and looking at the bigger picture. And it's by doing that, by focusing on the right things, that we will better navigate the trials that we're in and we'll better live the life, the fullness of life that Jesus has has called us to. So the last thing I want to do, I want to end, this is something I I love reading this letter. This is called The Letter to Diognetus. Um, It's special to me just because it was written so long ago. This was written in the second century AD, so in the hundreds. And this letter was written to a guy named Diognetus. He was this old official of some sort. I don't know his whole backstory, but apparently he was very curious about Christianity, about Christians, like who were they? Christianity was brand new to the world. So he's wondering, okay, what are these Christians all about? Like, how, how do I tell them apart from other people? What's going on? And so someone, we don't know who it is. This is an anonymous letter. He writes this letter to this official Diognetus to explain a little bit of what Christianity is all about. And I want to read you just a portion of it that talks about how these Christians lived, right? Because when we as Christians are focused on the right things and when we live for the things that God has called us to, man, we're a force to be reckoned with. So this is what he writes about these Christians. Oh, I forgot to mention, if you want, I, I don't have a, a slide for this because it's really long, but if you want to read along, it's actually in the description of this video, or if you just want to go back and look at it, that's where you can find it. But he writes, for Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of the human race by country or language or customs. They do not live in cities of their own. They do not use a peculiar form of speech. They do not follow an eccentric manner of life. This doctrine of theirs has not been discovered by the ingenuity or deep thought of inquisitive men. Otherwise, it's not like some really weird deep uh, philosophy. Nor do they put forward a merely human teaching as some people do. I think about like self-help books. Those are popular, but it's just someone thinking about something that helps them. Yet, although they live in Greek and barbarian cities alike, each as each man's lot has been cast, and they follow the customs of the country in clothing and food and other matters of daily living, at the same time, they give proof of the remarkable and admittedly extraordinary constitution of their own commonwealth. A lot of big words. Um, But he's basically saying they give proof that their life is different. They cannot be distinguished from everybody else just by looking at how they dress, how they eat, how they act. But they give proof to to their hope. They live in their own countries, but only as aliens or as exiles. They have a share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their fatherland, and yet for them, every fatherland is a foreign land. They marry like everyone else, and they have children but they do not leave their infants out to die. A quick uh, explanation on that. Um, it was an ancient practice, not the same as abortion, but very similar. Uh, it was socially acceptable. If they, didn't want kid, if they didn't want their kid, within the first eight days, it was socially acceptable for them just to leave them out in the wilderness to die. That was socially acceptable. 
And this guy who's writing this letter says, hey, Christians don't do that. They don't partake in that, even though the society around them says it's okay. They share their homes with each other, but not their marriage bed. It is true that they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their own lives, they go far beyond what the laws require. They love all men, and by all men are persecuted. They are unknown, and still they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are brought to life. They are poor, and yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute, and yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are dishonored, and in their very dishonor are glorified. They are defamed and are vindicated. They are reviled, and yet they bless others. When they are insulted, they still pay due respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. Undergoing punishment, they rejoice because they are brought to life. They are treated by the Jews as foreigners and enemies and are hunted down by the Greeks. And all the time, those who hate them find it impossible to justify their hatred. That's a powerful glimpse of what it looks like to focus on the right things, right? And know that you, Rock Creek Church, you were called to live with a similar fervor, a similar passion for the things of heaven, the things that really matter, right? Because no matter what happens to you here on earth, it cannot touch your inheritance, it cannot touch your identity, it cannot touch your God. He is the same. And he will prove true for you. So I hope that that's an encouragement to you and know that as we continue on through this whole letter, right? This is the first big chunk. This sets up so much of what's to come in the rest of the letter is that if you focus on the right things, then your behavior will follow. If you focus on the right things, God will continue to do amazing things through you. So Rock Creek Church, keep it up. We know you're doing a great job. We love you. We're praying for you. We are here for you. Please, please continue to to invest in community, invest in each other in this time and just watch what God's gonna do. So let me pray for you and we'll continue in worship. Jesus, thank you so much for, uh, for this day. Thank you so much for the way that you work, the way that you move, that it's so counterintuitive to the things that we see, that the world says is valuable. Uh, you work in miraculous ways through everything, and I'm so grateful that you don't let anything go to waste that you are involved in our lives in every single aspect. So, Lord, I pray that you would continue to walk with us, continue to make yourself known to us, help us to hear your voice, help us to lean into who you are and who we are in you and continue to focus on the right things, to lift our eyes up and to trust you with every circumstance that we may face. So we thank you, Jesus. We give you this day and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name.